I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about customer database today, which is a topic near to my heart. And uh, we're going to look at Stephen Hughes' article. But first, let's have some fun. Okay, here's the Nespresso, new Nespresso ad that premiered at the Cannes Film, Film Festival. Zoop, and here we go. Lost a bet. Lost a bet. So bold. He's double espresso all the way. Nutty and sweet. Latte macchiato. Okay, George, this one's for the prize. Intenso. No, cool. Definitely iced. She makes faces at their partners. Nespresso. What else? Okay, so apparently George has been a Nespresso spokesperson ambassador for over 20 years. And uh, we'll get we'll get into that right now. Um, and Julia Gardner seems to wear green often. I don't know that anyone looks good in green, except for some very very like hunter green shades. But anyway, it seems to be her thing. Um, and so Audrey Kemp tells us that uh, they lost a bet, and there's a lot of about the the film um Clooney said I don't t- like to take myself too seriously so I didn't mind being outwitted by the two of them even if it was me who ended up wearing a bright pink motorcycle helmet uh I think I pulled it off well <laughs> Clooney has played himself in Nespresso ads for nearly 20 years yeah well when you make a bet like that Especially if you don't know what the, what the swap is, you just got too much money. But I was like George because I don't think he does. I think he doesn't take himself himself too seriously. So that was fun. Okay, database is built. Now what? And this is from Stephen H. U. My friend, and a very good article. So let's dive into it a little bit. The most maybe the best part of the article is this right here. Insights and actions do not jump out of data automatically. He and I are solidly on the same page there. Okay? You can do all you want to look at data, but until you have someone who knows what they're looking for, knows how to get value out of the process, you're just, it's just a pile of straw. As you know, I have a book called Spinning Straw into Gold, and it's got a couple of dozen, at least, case studies in it about how we made money with data and what insights were gathered um, and even a little bit about how you compare one method against another. And we'll talk about that as we go here. So now people are building CDPs, customer data platforms. And of course, you know, way back, this has got to be, no, it wasn't the, it was the 90s. It was at least 
25 years ago, we started advocating that you needed a customer database because, um, you know, when we were trying, everybody was trying to get get their their uh, order processing mainframe to do the marketing. And there were two problems with that. One was it wasn't flexible. It didn't have usually, oftentimes didn't have much for graphic capabilities. So you couldn't even do graphs or charts or anything. And uh, the other problem was, well, uh, daytimers flew in. Their IT guy flew in. Greg, I think his name was. Uh, and uh, he wanted to talk about, you know, databases and stuff. And so I did, you know, I did. And he said, I told him that, you know, it's a problem. It's a problem trying to work on the mainframe. And he said, yeah, we don't let our marketing people, we don't let them run queries between about July and about March. Because they're selling calendars mostly. So that's their busy season. And uh, he said, but we've solved it now. And I said, well, how, did, how have you solved it? And he said, well, we've decided to give some programmers to the marketing department so they can, instead of writing ad hoc queries that slow everything down, we're going to let them write, write programs to get what they want. I said, oh, that means you're going to have marketing programming your mainframe. And he said, yeah. I said, oh, let me say that again. You're going to have marketing programming your mainframe. And he turned pale white. That was so funny. He said, oh, I see what you mean. And so, you know, we thought we were pretty pretty right about, let's put it on a different machine. You know, in those days, we could actually fill up a PC with pretty much data. The biggest drives we could get were one gig. But, you know, zero-party data with just transaction information isn't really that big. It's not big. And uh, we would dramatically multiply it. That was another reason to do a marketing database was because uh, just the, the standard variables we would add to a database were probably, I don't know, 300, 350, 350 variables. You know, and most of them are worthless, as, it's, as I say in my book, spinning straw into gold. Straw is worthless. Straw is what you put under an animal to catch the caca that comes out of the animal so by the time you pull it out of there it's full of caca and straw it's a mix that's what your data is like that's really what your data is like right and so at least you want to isolate it that was my first point you want to isolate it from your your main operational systems right you don't want marketing mucking up the your ability to take and pl and ship an order Okay, and so from the start, the database is worthless. <laughs> See, we're on the same page here. It's a good start. You want to isolate the two, and you want to fill the marketing database with all kinds of potentially valuable garbage. It's the proverbial throw it at the wall and see what sticks. Okay, but also, and this is an excellent point, I'm not going to agree with it 100%, but it, it's really about the users, not about the database. If the users don't ask good questions, if they don't know how to set it up and make and test and change offers based on what they learn, it's got less value. Now, we tried to fill in that gap. I would say in the almost 30 years, it's going to be 30 years next year, that we started building marketing databases and doing statistical modeling and, and other kinds of analyses. In that almost 30 years, 
we never really had a client that wanted to know what we were doing. N never. Uh, Hamaker Schlemmer, one of my recent clients, very recent, uh, did we did one training class, and uh, but then there was a bunch of turnover, as happens with marketing people, and uh, that we only did one. And I and I tried to show them how you can interpret the uh, the Chade analysis that we did to sift out some value from the mountain of no value. And uh, they they were probably the most interested of any client I've ever had. And that, you know, after after almost 30 years of trying. And I would, you know, Dick Cabela also, I, I talk about him a lot, but he actually was curious. It was kind of funny. Uh, he wanted to know what I was seeing in that stuff. And you can see stuff. And I showed him how he could see stuff. So it's not really insurmountably complicated. It's just that it takes some work. So what I would do with clients is I would make a video of my validated model or the process of validation, and it would only be about 15 minutes, shorter than the show. And I would explain to him what I was seeing and what this might mean for offers, which is another one of the problems. Usually the people building the database, a lot of times it's your internal IT staff who don't really understand what it's like to make an offer, right? What it's really like to sell through, whether it's digital or mail, you know, they just don't really understand the, the opportunity. They're procedural people. They don't understand opportunity. And so they can't really, they really don't have the skill set to tell, to tell you or suggest how this might vary your offer. And that's a big missing piece. Of course, the other, and so the purpose of the database is to provide aha moments. Again, also true. You know, I tell people, yeah, you, we can beat your RFM. We can beat whatever you're doing. We can beat any modeling system we've ever come across with the same data, having access to the same data. Uh, East Bay <coughs> only sent us half the data we wanted. And at that time, I had hired a NASA uh, rocket scientist as a modeler, and uh, he thought the model looked pretty good. But it didn't have the nuances we would have got into if we would have uh, if we would have had multiple years of data so I say to people you know we can beat your RFM but um, that's not where the money is with modeling the money is in finding a new market or finding a new product or finding a new way of selling your existing products all those things a new way to offer it and I've shared a lot of those things with you I can tell you the clients that we did each of those things Unique case studies, they're in the book. Um, or we didn't know we had me that many one-time or inactive customers. And again, we talked about that a little bit on RFM yesterday. And uh, I'll probably be posting at least the slides from from Brian Kurtz's uh, session I did. I have a, a slide deck that I can put up on RFM.com. Or, I'm sorry, RFM.Migmar.com. I lost the URL. <laughs> I forgot to renew it long ago. Uh, or we didn't know online customers are more likely to purchase big ticket items. Now you gotta be careful sometimes because, because inexperienced marketers will draw conclusions. This would be an excellent one because I started thinking about it. I started thinking, well, 
usually we don't see that. We don't see online, especially if it's online versus catalog. We don't see online purchasing a bigger order, average order, and we don't see them uh, with as big a lifetime value. It's like 25% uh, of the catalog buyers. But then I thought about Walmart. You know, I've been shopping at Walmart for pretty much as long as I can remember. And, uh, well, the first Walmart, I remember the first Walmarts were very small. They were more like a dollar store. But anyway, I, I remember, and I thought, man, I've purchased a lot of stuff, but usually it's just a few items. It's not a big purchase. But a year and a half ago, I think it was, I purchased a big screen TV right and i thought well they have curbside pickup and it was in the middle of covid and i said i'll have them deliver it to my car and just have them slide it in there instead of trying to get it out of the store and into the car and so guess what i downloaded the walmart app and so if walmart does analysis on my average order you know it's i don't know 400 bucks or something it wasn't expensive but we like it and uh, it's the only online order I've ever placed with Walmart, I think. So it looks like I'm a much better buyer online than I am in person, which is totally false. And this is one of the problems with any analysis, is that you got to think beyond the question that you asked and beyond the answer that you asked. And uh, I commented on this article, it's on LinkedIn, from Stephen Yu, and I said, I'd love to hear some of your case studies, <laughs> some of your stories. Okay, so this could, you could infer from this that online customers are bigger orderers, but you could also, you might want to look and say, is it heavy items? <laughs> is it cumbersome items? Is, you know, and, and, you know, if you can track their credit card, some, some customers use credit card as the main customer uh, index. Um, you might see that I bought a lot more other stuff, not online. Okay, did you come up with new targeting offer uh, algorithms? Did you come up with, are you still using the same? Are you still using, did you change any behavior, you marketing people? Or are you doing things the same? Still copying marketing plans from yesteryear? Uh, any insights into customer profiles? And this happens a lot for us, really does. Uh, we've we've doubled companies several times, more than a few, uh, in a, just a little while, uh, like a couple of years, at two three years, um, just by finding different markets or different offers. Did anyone obtain any new insights? And for this, you know, we find that if you if you work with an outside firm, they have an incentive. You know, at the end, Stephen, and you probably should read this for yourself. Uh, he says you should be evan you should evangelize data usage, if not for the good of marketing operations in general, at least to preserve your own position. And see, as an outside vendor, we have to keep telling people why this matters, right? Uh, and um, and so we have like a mission to keep coming up with new variables and new offers and new ways to value this. And we also and he has a big thing about testing. And he says, databases are like musical instruments. You know, it's not the, it's not the price of the instrument. It's the, it's the person playing it, right? And uh, so then he says, data players must make data use easy and simple. 
I'm not sure that ever works as I illustrated in the last example. You know, that one example alone could be completely wrong. Okay, he start, says start with dashboards. And I was going to pull up some of the dashboards. We, we've, we've created some things that are so simple that you can't even stand it. And nevertheless, they can still be the opposite of the right conclusion. You know, oftentimes when you do profiles, they'll tell you who you've been marketing to, and they show that you're, you're, you have a high index level. You do really well against a certain persona, against a certain type of people. But when you delve into it, as I do as a consultant, uh, it turns out that's where you've marketed for the last 20 years. Maybe if you tried some other markets, you'd find some surprises. And that's one of the advantages we have with machine, language, uh, machine learning. We can actually run tests, small tests of other markets, you know, other list sources. And if you use direct mail, you actually get the null data set. You know who you mailed. You know they got it delivered. You know that they, it went to a decision maker. You know they engaged with it even if they didn't buy you don't know any of that in digital, which makes it almost impossible to use the tools that we've developed over the last 30 years. Okay, make it simple for executives. Yes, we always try to do that, but I don't know that they like it. Um, develop models and personas. Users understand high and low scores. Mm, like I said, it's not so simple. Um, tests, tests, test new targeting, tests. You want to have holdout tests to see the value of your marketing in general in a particular channel. But you also want to do uniques tests where you model one way and then you model another way, like RFM versus machine learning. And you see the incremental benefit at an EBITDA level. And that really is an eye-opener if, you if, if, uh, if your customer database is designed from the beginning to do modeling. And uh, Stephen also points out it should be designed from the beginning to do attribution. There it goes. Backend analysis repeatedly, like always, so that you can see what elements worked. Now, that's an observation. Then you form a hypothesis and say, this is what we think worked. Let's develop a more explicit test to verify that. And then when you have real results, you can roll it out. You can pour gasoline on it with mass media and with social media, and you can really grow fast. That's the Lovesack case, which is on YouTube. I'll try to put a link to it. I think I have one specific video that, that gets into that really well, how we learned with the database that we built and then rolled it into the rest of their advertising end. Uh, and we worked with them from 2014 to 2017 or through there. And they went from 50 million to 100 million. And that is possible. It, it happens regularly uh, with, with, um, with a good plan, you know, where we're not just trying for quick hits. Okay, multi-channel attribution. But marketers who are afraid of data and analytics will soon become irrelevant. You know, most of them have retired way before they got caught up in this, my experience, even after 30 years. So... That's a great article from Stephen Yu. It'll be available on WDMA.org. And you just have to subscribe to get it. Uh, and it's well worth a read. It's also available on LinkedIn, which I think I'll maybe. Well, it's not that hard to find. Anyway, have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.